Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today in our Europe Cinema Series, I am joined by Lafayette Lee of Elon Musk's ex formerly known as Twitter fame as dissident right poster. Southern gentleman, let's say. He'll tell us more about himself. Lee has been on the podcast before we discussed the question of evil and America and the Western in No Country for Old Men, partly as an homage or eulogy for Cormac McCarthy, who at a venerable ripe age in his 90s passed away last month. Now uh, we're going to talk about evil and tragedy and horror again, but in a European movie, Werner Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God, a 1972 movie, the first of the Herzog-Kinski collaborations, and perhaps the moment Herzog became a vision in European cinema, an explorer of manly nihilism and of nature, which may be the occasion or it may be the cause of the emergence of nihilism. So there's a lot of history, since this is a Conquistadores movie about Peru and the Amazon in the 1560s, And there is a lot of philosophy involved in the matter. Herzog has a reputation as a remarkably thoughtful, aphoristic speaker, aside from his reputation as a wild man and an artist. And so we will try to put these two things together in a conversation about this fascinating movie recently on its 50th anniversary. Now, Lee, that should suffice by way of my introduction. Thank you very much for joining me. It's very good to do a second podcast together. And it seems like, in a way, we're developing a theme here on horror and evil and manliness and arts in uh, helping us reflect on ultimately the crisis of our civilization. Now we're moving from America to Europe and from the Western to the Conquistadores and from Cormac McCarthy to Werner Herzog, but there's, there's a lot that these things have in common. However, how did you discover Herzog and Aguirre and why did you feel so strongly about this movie? Thank you for having me on, Titus. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. I enjoy our conversations. I love your work. That most recent review I read of yours of Oppenheimer was fantastic. All your work is great. So I just wanted to thank you for having me on. Yeah, this film is always just, I could watch this film over and over again and still be moved by it. It's a very powerful film. It has a rawness to it, like all of Herzog's films, that just always captures me. I think I first watched... Aguirre, The Wrath of God, probably maybe a, a decade or so ago. I caught it by accident. I think it was I, I was at a, a movie store and I was digging through like the bargain bin looking. I was a poor college student uh, looking for something to watch on a Friday night. I was alone. So I'm digging through this this DVD pile and I just found this, you know, it was just this striking image of our protagonist, you know, Klaus Kinski just has such an iconic look. So he was on the cover of it. It looked interesting. I took it home and I watched it and I was just blown away. From there, I mean, it really, this is the film that kicked me off into getting in Werner Herzog's work. You know, Fitzcarraldo watched that later. I even read several of uh, Herzog's books. I think most recently The Twilight World came out, which I think is very good. But so it kind of spun me off into this this journey of watching his films and then a, maybe taking a, a different eye to cinema. I think Herzog opened my mind to what cinema could really be. And in some ways, that's been a good thing because it's allowed me to appreciate certain films more. But it's also been a bit of a curse because there are so many films that fall short of what they could be uh, because Herzog just you know, remade the form. 
Yeah, uh, I think it's an interesting thing to see just what an artist can achieve, almost, so to speak, solely on the strength of his vision. Herzog had little money to make this movie, didn't have much of a shooting schedule. He wrapped it up in, in just over a month. And the movie itself is also just feature length, 90 minutes and you're done. You can watch it any evening, but you're likely to spend at least as much time, n- not to say in shock, nor in awe, but disturbed by a a movie that so quickly makes use of two things, really. As you said, Klaus Kinski, the madman of 70s uh, German cinema, and the Amazon. It's a movie with incredibly long shots. It's patient with its theme, with its scenes. And because of how cheap it was, and it was filmed on the river, the crew is on the raft. The rafts they're filming uh, going down the river are also very contained. Everything is always human beings in containment and this environment, which is either the Amazon or the forest or both. It, it makes for remarkably dramatic contrast. It's almost like watching theater. Uh, Herzog also just blocks and prepares all of the shots with composition, with putting people in uh, unusual but evocative groupings. It's a little like Baroque painting, maybe. So he brings all of these elements to a vision that also had to be executed, as I said, on a shoestring budget in pretty quickly the filming itself. So without much of a chance to do things all over again. I think that contributes a lot to what you said about the movie, that it comes across as raw. There's a lot of artistry in it, but it's never overdone. It's never flashy or glamorous. It's indeed, if you think about the Amazon or about these figures, conquistadores, it's understated. There is a certain coldness to the colors as well as to the mood of the movie. It's not particularly passionate. It's not adventurous. It's never far from terror. It's never far from cold shock. I think that gives, if not gravity to the story, then at least a certain power to captivate because you can't quite believe what you're seeing, but you suspect where it must all tend. It's that somehow also fits with the historical setting with the mid-16th century Spanish colonial adventure in South America, but also maybe with the 1970s, with the time when the movie was made and the political shocks of the late 60s and onwards. Presumably the audience then was willing to look at such things in a way they were not later, but in a way that they might be again. I think uh, I was surprised that you wrote about Aguirre because it occasioned this thought. Uh, it's, It's much timelier than we would like it to be. I don't think people would line up to be part of a society where this kind of makes sense. 70s Germany was, of course, in certain ways quite crazy, including political terrorism. This movie is somehow of that time, of that mood. It reveals something like the, that, that crime, like political crime does, that we don't want to see about ourselves. You make much of this in your essay, which I recommend to the audience, of the way in which Aguirre forces us to face things about our nature that we would rather not face. Since it does not even have a city, there's no civil peace or civil tranquility to speak of. It's man and the jungle, and in a way, a contest of ferocity, since man and the jungle are both very deadly. It's very true. For those who haven't watched it, there's 
you know, it's a very simple storyline. Herzog really doesn't take much time trying to do much background on this. You're kind of just thrust into it. You know, they're they're coming down basically from the Andes Mountains into an open jungle that's and that's just endless. It's so vast. And these, you know, these conquistadores have they've just toppled the great kingdom of the Inca and they are now pursuing a lost city of gold, El Dorado, which is, you know, this has a long, long history in American and culture of the entire Western hemisphere. It's captured the minds of so many people, past and present. And so they they ventured down to find this El Dorado. And in the process, you know, the Aguirre is, I mean, he's a adept fighter. He's very experienced. He's brave. Um, he's cunning. And, you know, he he essentially commits a political crime, right? Maybe even you could even say a spiritual crime because he subverts the leader of the group, uh, the leader who had the blessing of the king. You could say arguably also the blessing of God. And Aguirre takes control of this ragtag band of conquistadores. And why this film is so powerful to me and why so many of Herzog's films it's evocative. It's raw. The terror is always uh, this subtly under undergirding everything within the story, because nature is always uh, portrayed in a much more realistic way with Herzog's films. It nature is a character, you know. So you have your protagonist, but you also have like the antagonist. It's nature. It's not just you know like Mother Nature the way that it, we kind of anthropomorphize these things. It's this large, indifferent force that can feel overwhelming and it can be exhausting and it can be and it can crush you into nothing and and that is how nature always is it's grasping it's clutching it's tearing it's haunting it's stalking it's it's very different than the way that other films might portray nature and and it becomes a very real character and force within the film and so you know as Aguirre and his companions make their way down the river and this is you know there's so much symbolism here you know, even though Herzog doesn't really indulge in that, you you can't help but think of this, you know, this kind of like catabasis of, of going down into down the river, into the heart of darkness, something like Conrad would, you know, focus on. And during this process, there is this disintegration that takes place with the band, right? They're driven to madness. They begin to starve. You know, they slowly start to fall apart. And like you said, it's interesting. It could be in this vast jungle with nature all around, all these strange things, sounds and sights. Everything is so raw, it's so steamy, it's so hot and difficult, but it's it feels like they're kettled up in a small space and they're trapped. And that, I think that that's just, I don't know how a filmmaker would be able to do that without having that kind of skill that Herzog has, is that he could place his characters in the Amazon, you know, rainforest going down a, a large river where it should feel open and free. And yet it feels so oppressive and, and you are trapped with them on that ship. Yeah. I think there's also an invitation to insist on interiority and on mood in the fact that the movie has a narrator or a narrative device. It's supposed to be the diary of one of the characters. And of course, it's impossible. The, the expedition is doomed. The diary will not survive, nor will anything else. But that is the narrative device that allows a kind of commentary on events which serves primarily to tell us uh, when uh, when it's happening, 
a few things about what's happening. Most of the storytelling is visual. There is some dialogue, but it is not uh, often very important. This device of the diary is also very 17th century device that is mementos, testimonies from different lost worlds or from impossible worlds. The found diary is, in a certain sense, the origin of the novel. The author pretends to be merely an editor of a manuscript he has received, which suggests it is all real, it all really happened. I'm not sure that this is what uh, Herzog had in mind in using this device. I think he just wanted to add a certain kind of hopelessness. This is merely a narration of a few events that all inevitably tend in the same direction without, so to speak, warning. It's true that the diary entries clue us into what's happening, but what they reveal is an absence of judgment and a sort of impotence. There's nothing you can do to stop this unfolding of madness. Yes, the power of the of the protagonist here, of Aguirre, and, and just absolutely great acting with him. I mean, he's just such a striking character with these big probing eyes and they're, they're, they're big blue eyes and they just kind of pierce through everything. They, they look so ambitious and cunning. And I mean, you see these images of he's really like the hero and the villain at the same time throughout the film. And, and what I love about it is that, you know, it's by his raw will that they even make it down to the river and that they even make it as far as they do. Um, and he's it's just he just drives on and on. And, and what I like about this is as the group disintegrates, that will becomes stronger. It becomes more pronounced. You know, in the beginning, the idea is, well, we're going to find El Dorado, um, you know, and he tries to convince his companions, you know, there's gold for you. There, it's every, We're going to be basically achieve this great thing, very similar to Cortez, who was able to, you know, he basically conquered an empire by disobeying uh, his immediate orders. And by doing so, you know, became a great man, uh, really changed the course of history. And so you kind of see the beginnings of this great man within Aguirre. And he has that ambition. He has the cunning. He's not an Iago, you know, from Shakespeare. He is strong. He's he's powerful. He's a good fighter. Uh, he commands the respect of those around him, even though he does terrible things. So he has the makings of this as well. And, and most importantly, is he has this domineering will. It's so powerful and it drives everyone. I mean, even as they're starving to death, even as they're facing death in the face, even as Aguirre punishes them, uh, they still obey him because he has that domineering will. It's just so powerful. And there's this Promethean quality to it is that, you know, great men always seem to reach beyond their grasp. But when they fail, they disappear. Nobody knows who they are or they become cautionary tales. But all of us still hope and long for somebody to make it, somebody to do it, somebody to find El Dorado. And then when something miraculous happens, right, then they become heroes. And there's, you know, after that, then then it's unquestionable. And, and you know, we we analyze that. We understand. But see, like Aguirre is so interesting because it's like this person reaching for that. They have the makings of that. And and yet all hell breaks loose. And it and <laughs> Herzog doesn't he doesn't make a film about Napoleon here or, or Caesar. He makes a film about a guy named Aguirre, who nobody even knows who he is. Yeah, I think that's very important that uh, since he is almost uh, lost to history and a failure, 
he doesn't compare with the great conquerors, but he shares many of the qualities. And perhaps because he fails, as you say, it emphasizes his will. There are other things missing by way of circumstances or by way of personal qualities, but he does seem to share this with uh, great men, the willfulness. And so with the, you know, the, the movie starts on Christmas Day, 1560, and over the next two months leads to through this catastrophe. And it also puts together precisely this, this problem, uh, what happens to these people who are alone, uh, out of control, out of reach, doomed. And on the other hand, what happened to the Spanish in South America? Cortes is mentioned a couple of times, as you said, the epitome of a hero who conquers by disobeying. That is, he is his own man. But also one of the Pizarro brothers who, inspired by uh, Cortes, went on and uh, conquered the Inca. Gonzalo is supposed to be part of the story. Now, here, uh, Herzog conflates the 1540s when Gonzalo Pizarro did uh, lead an expedition across the Andes, into the rivers, he gave up, but one of his followers, Francisco de Orellana, actually did navigate the whole of the Amazon and came out in the Atlantic, went to Venezuela in 1542. That was the first full navigation of the river. So this sort of desperate exploit is not impossible. And on the other hand, there's the 1560s when uh, Lope de Aguirre, who is also a, a real character and was considered a horror in reality as well, not just in Herzog's movie, also attempted and indeed completed the navigation of the Amazon only to end up trying to usurp the Spanish authority and was killed for it. But Gonzalo Pizarro in, in the 1540s ended up the same way. He rebelled against the Spanish crown and eventually was abandoned by his soldiers and was captured and executed. So the empire-making always had this quality. Uh, are these men conquering for themselves or for the king of Spain? Will they be under the, under the authority of the king and the cross? Or will they be uh, in it for themselves? And if they are in it for themselves, what kind of world would that be? Now, as it turned out with the Spanish conquest of the Americas, the authority of the Spanish crown increased, did not rather than decrease. But that conquest would not have happened without these kinds of men. And in the person of Lope de Aguirre, you see something that must be present in all of them, this willfulness, which must ultimately mean that they are men who want to set themselves against the world. In that sense, Aguirre looks a lot more like Captain Ahab in Melville's Moby Dick than uh, anything else since the movie ignores almost completely the, the Spanish Empire. And as you said, we start descending the Andes and then the descent down the river on the other side of anything civilized. All you have instead is the will of one man to, to make himself the equal of the world, if at all possible. He's not just trying to navigate the river and to find El Dorado, but he's trying to somehow conquer the river and that world and start a kingdom there. Yes, it's. Uh, I like that you you bring that up about the you know edge of civilization. Is that in a way only men like this can exist, can do anything outside of these boundaries. That in a way I imagine, and they don't they don't show this of how Aguirre was when he was you know conquering with a larger army or when he was back in Spain, but you know that we see this over and over in 
in history. We see it in films. And I, I enjoy films that try to capture this quality that there's, you know, you, you can't do these things. You can't conquer, you can't bring civilization to the wilderness without men like this. And there's a dangerous quality to them. I, I mean, the film isn't, it, you know, you focus on so much on the oppressive uh, brutality of nature, but also of man, you know, that these two things kind of have a synthesis throughout the film is as brutal as this jungle is and the conditions are, this brutal man is contending against that. And that's in a way that this is all, this is always how it is, is when it comes to winning wars, when it comes to, you know, blazing trails and find you know being able to wind your way through the wilderness you do that with savage men you really do and they and the rules the rules are are not seen in the same way i mean this is very this is poignant throughout the film is that aguirre is willing to kill the leader of his of the band you know someone who has the full faith and credit of the spanish crown who supposedly is you know also is um has been ordained by God in some ways that he's willing to strike that person down. And, and he makes those, he says things like that during the film. Like he talks about betrayal as a good thing and to disobey is a good thing. He talks about, he calls himself the great traitor, you know, and, you know, and he puts himself, pits himself against nature and against God himself. And he says he is the wrath of God. It's just this is the way of things. And I think human beings, we've been trying to contend with this for a long time because what we want is we want a man who is bound by his principles alone, a man who respects God, who is there and obediently obeys the leaders, you know, that he's under, understands civil authority, has a reverence to divine authority and holds these things in check. There's a level of brutality that always accompanies men, great men that are conquerors that that subdue others. Um, we don't like it; it makes us feel uncomfortable. But this is kind of our origins, and this is why I love I love the film is because you know the, it brings up some Nietzschean themes as well. Is that you know when we really probe past all of the things that the illusions we have about ourselves and about you know our civilization that we come from and our culture at the at the origin of those things is something irrational. It's dark. It is um, dangerous. It's, it's brutal. There's, there's horror to it. And that can be too much sometimes for us. So we, we like to hide from that, uh, but, but Herzog doesn't hide from that. He doesn't shy from it. It follows the characters all the way down the river and every step of the way, there's nothing romantic or glorious even as they contend against nature um, you know, even the even the Indians that they encounter, the native people, they are they're not portrayed as like noble savages. Um, they have a bestial quality to them. They seem strange. And there's a contempt that the characters have for them that I'm sure I'd get in trouble for saying this, but you almost share as a member of the audience. You know, when, when they when they fight against cannibals, there's just this savage quality that you don't necessarily respect. Um even as you don't respect the Aguirre and his companions. So it's, it's just, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me that we can try to contend with this brutality that all of us has, that is really at the root of everything that we value, or we consider to be higher culture, higher purpose. There's just this brutal underbelly to it. 
yeah, I think we can look at that a bit also by thinking about the storytelling genre. In a way, the movie looks like a tragedy because Aguirre is close, kind of resembles a tragic hero. One could say uh, of the conquistadores that they had some of the qualities of tragic heroes. These were impressive men that achieved great things. Uh, I, I recommend to our audience the, the greatest 19th century historian in America, Prescott, who wrote uh, the history of the conquest of Mexico and then also uh, a history of the conquest of Peru. The former is probably the history book written in America in that century, but the second one is also good. And partly because it understands the, the, the situation and the men and what they faced, as you say, with remarkable clarity, without delusions, without sentimentality, without romance. Now, Herzog's movie, on the other hand, has this oddity, this, as you said, there's nobody to respect or admire in this movie. There's too much ugliness. And so it can't really be a tragedy. It's, we wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it seems to have more in common with a horror movie for that reason. There is not enough of what is uh, definitive of tragedy, i.e. that it is beautiful. Whether it's Greek tragedy or Shakespeare or I don't know what, the tragic protagonists are admirable. There is something beautiful in them. Uh, that's true even of Macbeth, let's say. It's true even of Coriolanus. And, and that's not true in this story. But I think uh, something else that points in the same direction that this isn't really tragedy because it's not beautiful is, as you say, uh, Aguirre is defined by wanting to be his own man. And he seems to act as though he's the only man that ever existed. That's an astonishing thing. His desire to betray seems to come from that. You could say that transgression lawbreaking is the principle of individuation. What makes you you as opposed to what you were told to do? as opposed to what other people do. You can say with something like your name. My name is such and such, Aguirre. But that's not your name, it's the name other people gave you. The language you speak is the, something that belongs to other people. Hence the notion that maybe the will is what individuates you, something unspoken, but that shows up as law-breaking, as an attempt to be fully yourself, fully your own individual, without owing anything to anybody or obeying anybody. And so the, the quest, the political ascent of Aguirre during the story is also somehow a quest for the origins or return to the origins of mankind, as you were saying. And that, again, somehow has to do with tragedy or with mythology, with an attempt to give an account of something that can never show up in a civilized society, or at least we hope it doesn't show up in a civilized society because it would mean the end of civilization. Uh, there is something ugly in our origins that is tied up with the love of our own. In our society, we, we don't want to be these kinds of people, but we portray some of that and feel some of that in relation to the country. America, after all, had a civil war, and lots of people today talk as though they would want another. That is, it's perfectly possible for people, not in, in themselves, so to speak, but in the country, to feel this terrible willfulness, this desire to become, you could say, truly America by wiping out enormous numbers of people with whom they disagree uh, or whom they hate. It is in politics that we see passions of the kind that you see in the person of Aguirre. It's, it's maybe how people felt when they went off to war after 9-11. Why would you go somewhere else and kill other people you've never seen or heard of? It's, it's not entirely unlike, of course, the situation of the conquistadores 
why would you travel the treacherous seas and then you know go through these lands you've never heard of, never been, and then go off killing all these people? It's somehow our awareness, as you're saying about the forest and the river, they're untamable, uncontrollable, unpredictable. They instill in us the notion that the fundamental experience is strife. It's war. The whole world is a war. You might not see it when you look at the waters, when you look at the forest, but it's there everywhere. That maybe, as you could say, is gradually revealed in the story. Arrows or darts come out of the, the forest, themselves invisible, and then you see people die. Those people didn't see it coming, literally. Uh, what didn't they see? They didn't see the true character of the wilderness. So also with the river itself, the river stops at, at some point. The river, at some point, they see evidence of, of a massive swelling in the river. There are boats in the trees. Uh, the river is much more unpredictable than it seems. It would seem to have a form, a shape limited by the uh, earth around it, but it's not. This, you could say, is the ground of human experience, the non-human things, the forest and the river, the earth. The sky doesn't really count in this story. The earth and sky together is, you could say, our awareness of the world that does not depend on us. We depend on it. But uh, it's only the earth and the water that count in the movie. And the result of that is that Aguirre seems to be the best embodiment of uh, the human response to that strife, war. Bringing on the catastrophe, it's the only way to assume power. You need power. This is a fundamentally hostile situation. Hostility is simply answering nature with nature. So man is truly at home in the world if he takes on the character of the world, and the character of the world is that it wants you dead. It's not even indifference, it's hostility. The world is really dangerous. And it takes, you could say, the entire story to unfold. How far would that go? If you start down that path, where would it lead you? If you start thinking that you must be your own man, you must become an individual by becoming your own, by denying everything else, by trying to become the only human being in the world, what would that look like? And you could say something that is perhaps always implicit in our anger, in our enmities, is shown gradually on screen. And maybe that's why the movie has to have this cold character. It's not a movie where you admire or root for any of the characters, as we say. There is something interesting and there's something fascinating, but there's always something very repellent in these people. And yet the repulsion is, as you were suggesting, our way of protesting too much. We are repelled, not just by Aguirre, but by the whole expedition, because we're sort of like that. And it is very uncomfortable to see the similarity. I completely agree. And I I think it's always instructive to go through other reviews of this film. And most most viewers, and this is very similar to Apocalypse Now, is critics will focus on what are the political themes of this film? You know, what are what are the historical parallels? They'll spend most of the time going down these rabbit holes and talking and almost using the film to reinforce their political values or their beliefs. And I always find that that's kind of a cheap parlor trick. I don't like that because what is makes a masterpiece is when it pulls you in, pulls you close, and it allows you to see something you don't necessarily always want to see. Aguirre makes us feel this way. Apocalypse Now has that similar effect, is that 
if it forces you from this these distractions where everything has to have a framework and there has to be a political parallel or you know the protagonist represents this historical figure and you know this is just a, a fable like an aesop's fable that tells us to avoid people like this you know you're missing the masterpiece there because really we could should kind of identify a little bit with Aguirre. we should see ourselves in Aguirre. and in a way we even though he's a repellent character even though that you know somebody like colonel kurtz and apocalypse now even though we find something contemptible something we don't like it makes us uncomfortable but it makes us uncomfortable because it's it's something familiar and i i just see that as as such a strength in this film is because it in a way you know we want him to succeed because we really do find ourselves in a similar situation when we when we finally confront when we allow ourselves and we always we will go through life and periodically face the music periodically we'll stare into the abyss and when we do that you know, it's Aguirre who's looking back at us. You know, it's not George Washington. There's all these like figures that we like kind of put on a pedestal we make out of marble. We want to pretend that like these are the kind of people that we are. And I'm not denying the effects of civilization and how important that is. I'm also not trying to say that there's, you know, there's no value to piety and these other kinds of things that are very important to us. But underneath all the garb is some is, is Aguirre in many ways. And I think recognizing that is what makes this film so so powerful when you watch it with with both eyes open. And I think that anyone who gets distracted by the, you know, what are what is Herzog trying to say about the politics of the 20th century? Like I definitely think there's some fascinating parallels that affect the film. There's forces and there's a context to everything. But at the same time like when we get carried away I think in the storyline of trying to say well this is a representation of this particular historical event alone you know that that really is just we're we're playing it safe uh because Herzog like you mentioned before is it's just his films are are very philosophical they kind of transcend this other place there's always a mythic quality to it and we're able to go and confront nature in a way that makes us uncomfortable but it makes us uncomfortable because it's too real you know, he does this great job of being able to present these things where it doesn't feel like a documentary. It doesn't feel like a home video, but it has just enough of that rawness where you always feel a little uncomfortable through it. There's not this Apollonian dreamlike quality to the film that allows you to escape a little bit, you know, and I can't think of any filmmaker who does it better than him, because when we're trying to grapple with these things that we're discussing, it would give us too much of a breath of fresh air. It allow us to surface, right, and and take a breath if we had that Apollonian illusion surrounding everything. But we just don't. It's just we're we're kind of out there on the plane, unprotected, and all. And our companion is Aguirre. And in a lot of ways, I think that if you come away from this film and you see that Aguirre, in many ways, is you. I think that it it makes the film so much more important and, and valuable to you as a as an audience. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think especially this is important that the political things we see, we feel we're involved in are supposed to begin to lead us through this work of art, through this thought, not to reduce our experience or art to a, a specific uh, doctrine or a specific conflict. They're supposed to be the beginning of something that deepens our reflection. 
and think about the beauty and ugliness in America now, right? There are now two parties. One is pro-statues and one is pro-tearing down the statues. The statues are beautiful. It's Washington, it's Lincoln, and so on. But in the beauty of the statues, something has been lost. Washington and Lincoln were defined by war, by getting a lot of people killed who are their countrymen, in some sense. That's, that's somehow forgotten. The statues become beautiful, and accordingly, the fact that these were war leaders is forgotten. America and the statues are identified with peace. These are beautiful founders, but they're also terrible founders. And you can see that, in a sense, at a very vulgar level, because people want to take down these statues. Those people are pretty crazy people. But also, when we confront that, we become a bit crazy ourselves. We begin to remember that uh, that's what it's like to say to be American, a lot of violence. There's a lot of harshness. There's a lot of conflict. Tumult is the life of the Republic. And the statues end up concealing that. Perhaps we want to conceal behind beauty the terror. There's a bit of beauty in the Herzog filming, uh, but not too much. There's there's more of the terror instead. And so you could say that the, the attempt of the movie as a whole is to remind us of that, that there are two, there are at least these two different principles that on the one hand, we look at the beauty that makes us think, okay, this is our way of life. This is what we believe. This is justice, ultimately. This is why life works. But there's also this other principle, this ugliness that comes out of our need to defend ourselves, our awareness that we ourselves are in danger, that to be who we are is a continuous act of will. It doesn't just work. You have to do it. And the doing is a strife. Not peace, but war might be the fundamental principle. And so there's a conflict between beauty and ugliness, between peace and war. And I think uh, Herzog always insists on the ugliness and on the war and on the strife. But I'm not sure, I wouldn't be able to say, is that because this is how he thinks about things? Or is it because he realizes that we live in a world where we continuously want to pretend we're at peace, that everything is soluble and maybe imminently world peace will descend upon us? Can't we all just get along? That you could say is the summary of the 20th century after all. So, but or maybe it's both. Maybe it's that he realizes that he has to start with what uh, with shocking people out of complacency because he believes ultimately this is strife. This is what people have to face. A hostile universe, indifferent to us or to our wishes, and then the hostile to our bodies, our lives. It's certainly why he is so interesting as a filmmaker. He looks at people in the world and he sees that there and he points out something real, which is why the movies are disturbing. The disturbing part means the recognition. It's the kind of recognition we don't want. It's not flattering. It's not reassuring. But it is recognition. We recognize that is to say that to a certain extent we are strangers or aliens to ourselves and possibly enemies to ourselves. Even, even the movie has this symmetrical structure the first time you see Aguirre when they're descending down the mountain, he's holding his daughter's hand, this beautiful young woman. It's an odd connection between him and beauty. And of course, the last thing in the movie is uh, his looking at his dead daughter. She's finally been murdered and saying that, in fact, he his last plan at any rate was to start an incestuous dynasty with her, to be fully author of himself. Uh, as father of his daughter, he would be also father of his grandchildren. It would be all him. He would be able to create from himself, not need the world or God or anything to create. And the second time you see him, he says, you can't cross this river. Unlike the aristocrats he serves, he's against it somehow. 
But then, of course, uh, he reverses his will and he decides to conquer the river. And uh, in between is his whole attempt to take over, to become a kind of king, to become the great traitor, as he says, the wrath of God. Right? Uh, God in his heaven is beautiful. The wrath of God, not so much. Somehow in God we see this uh, dualism that we mentioned before, as with the statues, with our civilization. It is beautiful. It is just, but it is also warlike. It is also wrathful. And we don't know anymore even to look at these two things and take them seriously. And I think in that way, Herzog makes an invaluable contribution. That's exactly right. I you know I think so too. And, you know, I'm going to take the Herzog has a worldwide audience. But as an American, you know, as we look at America today, you, you brought that up earlier. And I think that that's something worth pulling on a little bit is I think this is probably last time I was on here, we talked about Cormac McCarthy. Something I like about him is something I like about Herzog as well, is this idea of we are always at war, that strife is really at the basis of everything. And uh, the more that we try to run away from that or try to hide from that, it, it it's not as if it decides to retreat because we don't look at it. We don't pay attention to it. It continues to fester and it continues to build. It continues to be at work, busy away, even the more we ignore it. And I think that as Americans, it is true that these kinds of films, I think, whether it's No Country for Old Men or whether it's uh, Apocalypse Now or um, Aguirre, Wrath of God, I feel like these films will speak to us a lot clearer now. You know, Herzog has this quote where, I, if I'm going to butcher it, but he, he basically talks about that we all have dreams but we all have shared dreams. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Joseph Campbell when he says that, you know, we all have myths like monomyths, maybe that like a monomyth that we subscribe to, but we have a personal mythology that is very similar between, we might have distinct characteristics between individuals, but we have a lot of shared mythology. We have shared dreams. And Herzog would say that the only thing that really separates us is that he's able to articulate those that dream. He's able to articulate what it is um, that we all deep down know that once we see it, we can recognize it. And I think that, you know, going back to what I was saying is that I, I believe that this will speak with more clarity today than it would maybe for prior generations, because some of the things that we have been able to wrap ourselves tightly with and to comfort ourselves, every time there's a political debate, there's a talk about the American dream, you know, we're returning back to this other time, which, you know, another dreamlike state, maybe the dreams of our grandparents or something. It's always this uh, wistful look away. I mean, a character, a figure like Ronald Reagan did very, did an exceptional job of being able to articulate a shared dream, right? And we always kind of want, we want somebody to do that for us. And I feel like our politics is, is very much like that. But at the other end of that same politics of ours, there's this brutality and this strife and this warlike quality that that once it touches us, it it, it causes us to react and we can feel it. Um, it's not alien to us at all. It's old and familiar, but it's uncomfortable. And so I think that films like this will speak to us a lot louder. What you said also, this kind of goes back to that comment that you made about that we might have statues and we might have these monuments to things maybe to our civilization 
um, which by the time you are building a monument, the, the chapter has been closed. The reconciliation has started, right? The agreement's been made. And it encases something almost foreign to the person that we're trying to memorialize. A good example of this that I think is related to somebody like an Aguirre, you take a Davy Crockett character in the American folklore and in our history. He was an incredibly brave man, highly skilled, courageous, bold, thought for himself. He was ambitious as well. He was an adventurer, but he was also a brutal man. You know, when he was in the Creek War, he had to do, he did or had to do very brutal, ghastly things. And if people were to read the history, it'd probably shock them because we have all grown up on a 1950s and 60s, uh, Fess Parker, Davy Crockett from Walt Disney. And I mean, we would send our kids to Disneyland where they would play and, you know, pretend that they're Davy Crockett and wear coonskin caps. My father grew up that way and I grew up that way. Um, very different from the character that they're immortalizing. And you look at somebody like an Aguirre, had Aguirre succeeded, let's say he had found El Dorado, where he had conquered something well enough where he was to receive a pardon from the king. And, you know, let's say history was different. Aguirre would later become this innocuous, harmless, almost naive figure that we would probably worship and have action figures and things like that too. And so it's it's interesting because as much as we have to face that crude reality, we always want to retreat back to a dream. We want to make it safe. We want to create an artistic representation that allows us to put it in our pocket and go about our day without confronting what it is that that thing is. And so I do think that this film will speak a lot louder to people as we are forced to confront the crude reality that we're living in right now. Indeed. Lee, I think this very good summation of uh, our interest in the story of facing danger and therefore opening up the possibility of becoming morally and intellectually serious about what it means to be a man, what it means to be human, what our situation really is and what our predicament. So thanks again for joining me on the podcast and uh, everyone will have links to uh, Lee's essay on the movie, which goes together with, but is really distinct from our conversation. So I think you will get an even deeper reflection on what he has to say. And Lee, let's find another movie. Let's do this again sometime soon. I Thank you very much, Titus. It's always a privilege to talk to you and I'd love to. So thank you for having me on. All the best until next time. 